I am ne- a, a new cartoon uh, mm-hmm. in in that post that he shared. So yeah, there's some exciting things coming up, no doubt. No, absolutely. I think more content and more live content is always good. Vlad and I like this format because it allows people to uh, to ask questions, mm-hmm. and we get a little bit more uh, we get a little bit more feedback uh, with sure. all that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every oh, yeah. Well, every medium. Mm-hmm. Now I was going to say, just like every medium has its place. So looking forward to hearing what the audience has to say tonight as we get rolling into uh, this conversation. Absolutely. So let me make um, my normal comments that I do as we let everyone come in. Uh, so, so Chris, my, my favorite point of the stream is actually right now when I embarrass Vlad because Vlad doesn't want to ask for subscribers to Solus PLC. And so we start every stream by me congratulating. They're at like 22,000 ish YouTube subscribers. Yeah. And so it, it's the push to 50,000 and then the silver play button over, uh, over Vlad's right shoulder. And nice. so, uh, so, so I feel compelled to ask everyone who is, uh, who is listening. If you guys haven't uh, subscribed already, please go ahead and take a look at that. And so as we were talking to Chris, and I'm sure he will mention manufacturing happy hour uh, coming up shortly in the interview, Chris, you were saying that you are doing a, uh, a clubhouse, right? Clubhouses on Tuesday. Um, yeah. Yeah. So whenever you want me to bring that up, I'm happy to share what's one of the next like regular meetings coming okay. from manufacturing happy hour. So I'll just Perfect. give the quick teaser, just a six week series we've got coming up called Beyond the Buzzwords, where we'll take on an overused term every Tuesday at 530 Eastern and uh, have a conversation about real applications around that term, whether it's edge computing, machine learning, you know, digital transformation. We've heard all these buzzwords before. So, yeah, Absolutely. that'll be on Clubhouse. Should be fun. No, that's very exciting. And so we will drop links as to where you guys can find uh, manufacturing happy hour um, in all of the chats. And so you guys can go join that. And Chris will talk a little bit more about the community that he's built over there. And and Vlad and I may mention that I think that was one of the first times that we spent like multiple hours kind of sitting across on a Zoom call mm-hmm. uh, either a year and a half ago or six lifetimes ago um, while we were in the middle of all of this. Yeah, and I posted the links, by the way, for those of you who are looking for um, the manufacturing happy hour or Chris's profile, if you want to connect and, you know, direct any messages, requests, um, asks, uh, that's all been posted on LinkedIn. And I'm sure we'll repeat it at the end as well, just so you know where to find Chris and all the social media. And that's going to be posted in the comments uh, once this video is uh, published on uh, the other platforms. Absolutely. But yeah, Dave, do you want to start us off with a, an official introduction and kick off the stream? Absolutely. Um, everyone, welcome back to episode 17 of Manufacturing Hub with myself, Vlad, or with myself, Dave, and Vlad over there. Uh, we are doing this live, so most times I get at least one part of this wrong. Uh, episode 17, very happy to have Chris Lukey on board. Uh, Chris, the, the I think we, we've all known each other for a while, but one of the first times that I think that 
I registered you online was manufacturing happy hour and pubcast worldwide and kind of all the beer and manufacturing. And I'm not going to lie. I don't know how many years it was until I realized that at that point you also work for Rockwell um, in the industry and, and th then do all of these other things. And I, I'm really, we're, we are very happy to, uh, to jump into it. So Chris, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Excited to be here. Excited to see all the things that you two have been doing as well. You know, we've gotten to know one another, like you said, whether it's six lifetimes or a year and a quarter, whatever it's been, um, you know, jumping on Zoom calls in, in the manufacturing happy hour community. But it's awesome seeing you guys running this show. Um, I love popping on and uh, LinkedIn at uh, 5 p.m. Central and, uh, and seeing it rolling. So excited to be here. No, no. Th thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, and so as I was alluding, I feel like the first time I knew you was from the Manufacturing Happy Hour community and the podcast. And like in my mind, as I was thinking of it, I kind of think of that as one of the original manufacturing podcasts. And at least that's the oldest one or the oldest independent uh, manufacturing podcast that I can kind of uh, remember, if you will. So can you kind of walk everyone through a little bit of your background and your story, uh, you know, from, you know, college into Rockwell and how you got on this whole podcasting thing? Sure. So that's a, uh, it's a good question. Good way to kick things off. And it does seem like it's been a while, like manufacturing happy hour. I think the first time we filmed an episode, like on an iPhone inside the Rockwell lab in San Ramon, California, and that was like October 2016. So it's crazy to think wow. that because I remember what I remember starting it and thinking to myself, it's like, you know what? Every other industry is already doing this. Why isn't mm -hmm. manufacturing doing this? And now, you know, we've had a handful more people catch on, but I'd still there's still room for more at the end of the day, like uh, plenty, uh, plenty audience to go around. But to take it back. So graduated from college, started working with Rockwell and, and really where things fed into Rockwell leading to manufacturing happy hour was mm -hmm. I was working out in Houston, Texas for the first part of my career. And that's like an old school manufacturing process market. Mm -hmm. You know, you're meeting with people that have been working at their jobs for 20, 30 years. You know, people aren't jumping around like crazy. You know, you've probably got some longevity at the spots you've worked with. So you know, the handshake is really important and the relationship is really important in, in that market. Not to say, that, say that's not important out in California, but you move to San Francisco and then, you know, two or three years is a long time for someone to be having worked at a company, for example. Mm -hmm. Like people will jump around from, we all know, we all know it. It's like Google to Apple to Facebook, whatever it is. People, people job hop yep. more out in the Bay Area. That's just reality. And as a salesperson, I was a salesperson for Rockwell the whole time. Uh, I was calling on a younger demographic of decision makers. You know, we had said in Texas, people had been working at their jobs for 20, 30 years. So you're working with people with more experience, um, you know, senior roles at, at their respective jobs. Go to California and it's a bunch of people, you know, my age out there, early 30s uh, at the time, late 20s and things like that. And they're calling the shots. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I needed a way it was twofold. One, I needed a way to reach that audience. It's like mm -hmm. they weren't always going to take the meeting. But, you know, like myself, you'll take five minutes to watch a YouTube video online. So I'm like, well, let me share the information that way. The other part was I've always enjoyed being on camera, on stage, on a microphone. And it was just, it's, it was one of those, 
aspects of my skill set that I hadn't really felt like I'd been utilizing. So it's mm-hmm. like, well, let's mix this in. Worst case scenario, I'll have a little fun, even if no one listens and the series lasts for three months and, mm-hmm. um, you know, putters out after that. And here we are five years later um, and it's it's still running. So it's been fun. That's that's really where manufacturing happy hour started um, kind of as a necessity as part of my job at Rockwell. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to hear about, you know, some of the maybe initial hurdles, because ultimately you brought in some very, I feel like high up people from Rockwell and managed to convince them on the idea. <laughs> like, were there any like pushbacks that you faced, uh, especially starting out? Or did they see this like, yes, this is a great opportunity, you know, like, let's explore this further. What were, what were the conversations like? Yeah. So to, to be honest, I think I got pretty lucky with a lack of pushback, you know, one let's, let's give credit to Rockwell automation for having a culture where they encourage people to play their strengths. Um, so, you know, they, they, they want people to explore different career options and things like that within the company. You know, they want them to find the spot where they're going to, they're going to do the best work. They're going to feel the best, all that. At the end of the day, though, manufacturing happy hour was a little bit of an under the radar type thing because he really, you know, shout out to my manager and my local team out there in Northern California for being kind of the first guests on the show and the first people to to give it a little air cover. Because for for nine months, I was just emailing it out to my customers, you know, Mm -hmm. 300 or so customers that I send a newsletter to. I just basically turn it into a video newsletter and I wasn't really doing a lot of promo on on social media at that point with it and you know by the time you know nine months in or so i'm like yeah i should see what happens if i share this to social media by the time i started sharing it there was momentum behind it there was already a base of episodes so it wasn't just this one flash in the pan thing that some account manager in san francisco decided to do that that could have been like squashed pretty quickly. It was like, okay, there's some consistency, consistency, there's some momentum and people seem to be really resonating with the content because at the end of the day, I, my advice for anyone at a large company is, you know, try to stay on brand. You don't want to do this and share like some hot takes that are completely outside the philosophy <laughs> of the company. So, you know, between that combination of keeping on brand and things like that and, you know, building up that content gradually and really using it for a very targeted audience, I think helped out. Now, the the joke I do use with folks and 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 Vlad, you brought this up was like I think it was probably like a year and a half in early 2017. I think that's when I I did have Rockwell CEO Blake Moret jump on the show, mm-hmm. um, and and the main reason I did that was it was around a topic that he was very passionate about. Academy of Advanced Manufacturing, a great program Rock, Rockwell does to train military veterans in advanced manufacturing skills, trades, and get them assigned to jobs after that. So, um, but the joke I use after that, it was, you know, it's like, well, I guess if I've had the CEO on the show, I guess I've got the air cover I need to keep doing the show. So uh, it's like an explicit permission for sure. (laughs) A fun bit of Rockwell lore right there, manufacturing happy hour lore of how the show got going. Yeah, no, I mean, like, that's, um, that's absolutely fantastic. I think, you know, the way you said it, the fact that a company gives you enough leeway to do something like that, and support, you know, its employees and doing, I feel like above and beyond work is Mm -hmm. uh, like exemplary. I don't think you see that in, at least in most companies from my experience, right? Like, as you said, like, they could have, in certain cases, just squashed it down and told you like, well, look, this is not 
like something that we're looking to do, but they mm-hmm. did encourage it. So it's really, it's really cool. And so since then, I know that it has transformed a lot. You've had many episodes. Are there any like interesting takeaways, any like, you know, if you want to share some maybe lessons learned with us, like how did it, how did the, the show change or evolve over, over the years? Yeah, good, good question. So the evolution of the show, most uh, probably the most obvious form of that is I really started turning it into more of a podcast than like a short form video series. You know, it was uh, and and I, I encourage people, anyone that wants to start a video series or a podcast or whatever, I always tell them it's like you've got everything you need right here. Like this will take a pretty darn good video. You can record fine audio on it. And, you know, it gets people over the the hurdle of using, oh, I don't have the right equipment as an excuse from getting started. So most obviously some upgrades in quality, but we started moving to longer form content in the podcast. And then I do a lot of repurposing with that content. Now I started realizing, you know, it's cool to do like, it's never bad to do like a three or five minute video, but when you do that, it sounds kind of scripted in some regards. You can't really have a natural conversation. What I like doing now, when you're doing a 30 to 60 minute interview, for example, like you'll get more candid conversations. You'll get people being more relaxed. And from that, you know, you can pull. And I think you guys see it online. I share little 30 second, one minute, two minute clips from my podcasts all the time. And that's a way of turning, you know, a piece of longer form content into micro content that you can share and distribute that message to people where they're hanging out. Like Mm -hmm. it's one thing to post a link to a podcast on LinkedIn, but Mm -hmm. the likelihood of me stopping what I'm doing to go listen to a 60 minute podcast at that time is pretty slim. I will stop and listen to like a 60 second video from that. Cause you know, you're on social media, you're going to procrastinate just a little bit. You're going to waste that, not waste, but you're going to spend that five <laughs> to 10 minutes, you know, you doing something. Well, yeah, you're, you're investing the time there. You're, you know, a lot of times when I'm on social media, I'm, I'm dawdling a little bit. There's like an email or an action item I could be following up on, you know, I'm, I'm human like that. Everyone mm-hmm. does that, but that's kind of my point there. But I, you know, I think the big takeaway I, I saw was that there's a lot of potential in spreading your message through podcasting versus just short form video. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. the takeaways from a manufacturing perspective are vast. You know, what what I think some of the interesting things, I'll, I'll share this on here because it might be interesting to the audience, but you start getting a feel for what topics are most pressing and most interesting to industry mm-hmm. Um, industry leaders, for example, like, you know, I do cybersecurity episodes every quarter on the show because for whatever reason, those episodes get, you know, way more downloads than regular episodes. Mm -hmm. It's just a topic that people are searching for, listening for. So, you know, there are lots of manufacturing takeaways I pulled from the audience, but, you know, from a macro standpoint of doing a podcast on manufacturing, you get a sense for some of the things from the numbers, from the topics that come up of what's most important to people in the manufacturing industry. So those are a couple takeaways and ways that the show has evolved. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And while we're on the topics, really quick question. I know you mentioned this at the beginning, but how can people, or is there a link for the clubhouse invite for next week? Is there a way to like see an event or anything like that? Yeah. So great question. So for the clubhouse events that are going to be running for six weeks, basically every Tuesday for the next six weeks, it'll go through the end of July. Uh, Go to the manufacturing happy hour industry community on LinkedIn, because I'll be sharing the links for those every week. 
um, because it's like some really complicated looking link that that would be hard to describe on the podcast. Gotcha. But the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community, you can access that by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. It'll take you straight to the LinkedIn page where Dave, Vlad, you, you're both longtime members there. Um, anyone can get a link to uh, the, the clubhouse events there. Awesome. I wanted to also ask you about the, um, the happy hour tagline of the podcast. How did you like come up with that? Was there any like deliberate process or you just like, I thought like, Oh, this would be like an interesting idea. Like, is it, you know, did you have maybe a strategy where that's used as a hook? Like what were your thoughts behind that? I knew I wanted to incorporate beer into the okay. theme because the whole, the whole idea behind manufacturing happy hour and, and, and the beer is no doubt it's a fun spin about it, but the point isn't to like, you know, show up on camera and drink beer. It's a fun bonus really when, cause the whole idea of the show, it's like, Hey, there are all these big topics that I feel like we overcomplicate sometimes, or we use all these buzzwords. You got this alphabet soup, whatever you want to call it. We use a lot of words to say a whole lot of nothing. I'm just like, you know what, let's find a way to simplify and converse about these topics the way you would, if you were having a drink with someone at the bar. So manufacturing happy hour was just kind of the perfect embodiment of it. And, and I think, and, and this is, I guess, the impression and some of the feedback I've gotten over the years, the audience will ultimately be the ones to, to say whether or not this is the case. But when you hear the word manufacturing happy hour, you kind of have a sense of what it is. It's probably about manufacturing and happy hour. Okay. Might be, might be a little more casual. So it, it was, it was meant to give the vibe that, Hey, let's stop overcomplicating all these concepts and let's talk about them as like everyday people. Like when I start my interviews, I say, explain this to me as if we're having a drink at the bar. It's a very similar way of saying the mm -hmm. question of explain this to me as if I were a five-year-old or a 10-year-old or right. whatever it is. So that's uh, that's where that theme came from. But um, as a bit of an Easter egg to all of it, I used to work for Anheuser-Busch. I'm from St. Louis. I'm a craft beer fanatic. Dave, you mentioned at the start of the interview, I also uh, run a show that's been high, uh, on hiatus for a little bit called Pubcast Worldwide, which is more about exploring beer around the world so no doubt it, it it brings a bit of my personality into it but uh keeping it casual keeping it simple is is the main idea behind it i mean i i like that idea personally you know like for me if uh if i may offer my perspective it makes me feel like you said like relaxed but at the same time you know i don't need to be let's say in a suit and tie, like obviously like now Zoom has become the default standard, but you know, a meetup that's a lot more casual where we can discuss mm -hmm. some of those topics. And I think for better or for worse, just for a different culture perspective of let's say San Francisco, like engineering is mostly done in like, let's say casual wear, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Everybody's a lot, I feel more approachable from that standpoint. You're not expected to, you know, put on a suit and tie again to show up to some of these conversations. It's a lot more of an open conversation. Everything's kind of um, like, again, I've been to some of your meetups too, where like you can ask questions and not be seen as, you know, either like too smart for the room or too kind of, uh, um, anyways, you can ask all kinds of questions. So I really like that format personally. Dave, what do you think? No, no, absolutely. And I would say 
some of the first memories I have of manufacturing happy hour, Chris, I'm not sure it's even necessarily like the podcast. I remember seeing a lot of videos Mm -hmm. and you and the guest were literally drinking beer almost exclusively in those old Alan Bradley glasses that you have. And I feel like became famous for, um, famous for and famous for giving out over the years. So in my mind, you know, I, I I like, I like the manufacturing happy hour. I certainly get kind of that feeling as, you know, we're sitting down and having the drink. Most of your like larger meetings, most people, you know, Mm -hmm. unless they're on the West coast and have to go for a run because it's two o'clock in the (laughs) afternoon are, uh, are, are partaking in some sort of adult beverage. And so I, I absolutely enjoy that. And to, to hit kind of the last point you were talking about of repurposing content, I think you do a fantastic job of repurposing the content and i feel like especially in the last maybe three or four months i'm at least seeing more of it in my linkedin feed and a bunch of the older episodes i think you posted episode two earlier today mm-hmm. with uh, uh with z and, and mm-hmm. i remember listening to that it was probably like three or four years ago right but i, yeah. I remember listening to that as a podcast as I was like binging you know that batch of podcasts that uh, that you had put up and so it was it is like that warm, fuzzy memory. And candidly, that that is something that Vlad and I have talked that we we can and at some point will, you know, spend the time or, or find someone to uh, to help us do that and find ways to continue to uh, to repurpose those. Well, and I think that I'm no, sorry, go keep, ahead. No, keep going. Keep going. Oh, I'm going to add on at the end. <laughs> absolutely. And so I would say that, you know, I know that we all make content, but there are a lot of people out there who don't necessarily make content. And when I talk to people about making content, I always say find ways to repurpose it. And if it's short video clips in a much longer video, you can post the whole video, but most people aren't going to watch the whole video. So you post mm-hmm. it in clips or, or you pull out sound bites or you pull out quotes. There are you know, probably 10 ways that you can come up with to use that same piece of content. And now that one piece of content is 10 pieces of content and, you know, you can use it over a year or, uh, or 18 months. Yeah. I mean, a, a couple things to highlight there. You mentioned once, once you're able to find someone to help you out repurposing the content. I mean, that's precisely what I did. Like I was, I, I used to create some extra content, but I found, uh, I partner with a group, uh, an agency called content 10 X that helps me amplify that. And really it allows me, what it allows me to do is it allows me to focus on being a podcaster first and foremost, mm-hmm. conducting great interviews, creating great core content, and then mm-hmm. a group like that's able to help you amplify that as well. So, um, no, I took the exact same strategy. It sounds like you you both will take someday when it's like we just got to out, you know, we'll get the core stuff done. We'll outsource this to someone else. But no, I think the other point you bring up is, you know, that Z Holly interview where we talk about what can manufacturers learn from um the entrepreneurial world like i think we recorded that fall of like 2017 and i repurposed it as a podcast in like 2019 like there's some timeless content Mm -hmm. out there like that's the cool thing about doing what you guys are doing about doing a podcast like manufacturing happy hour making chips or the manufacturing executive shout out to a couple of these other good shows that are out there like just because you record it in june 2021 doesn't mean there aren't going to be nuggets and aspects from this that you can listen to three or four years later that are still super relevant so you just start building that asset bank and you're like wow i've got a lot to work with at this point 
Absolutely. And, and so one of the things that Vlad and I wanted to do is kind of use this as a way to document what will be the next 10 or 20 or 30 years or however yeah. long this this goes on in our careers. And, you know, th this is certainly a conversation that we may have again in six months or 12 months. And the topics could be completely different, but it will be no less relevant and important to uh, to kind of everyone listening. And so part of that is the goal is, you know, at least on our side or my side is to kind of help document that journey. So as the next batch of, you know, young engineers or young manufacturing folks uh, come into the industry, there is kind of timestamps of our career and our lives, mm -hmm. if you will, to be like, okay, these guys were kind of sort of feeling the same way I feel now, you know, two or five or 10 years in. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm glad I'm not the only one. Uh, yes. Right. Yeah. And I, it's, uh, it's funny. I think you bring up, you know, so I, I think we were actually, I think we were talking about this the other day, just like, you know, with podcasting and video mediums like this. Now, there are great ways for for younger folks that might be greener to the industry to add some unique value, like, you know, doing a show where, you know, let's say someone that's green to the industry talks to the experts or something like that. Like it, it humanizes it. It makes it relatable for people that are looking at it. It's like, oh, cool. These people are just like me. You know, they, they mm -hmm. were just getting started back then. Actually, if you look back to the very first episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour, like the first thing I recorded on my iPhone in 2016, mm -hmm. it's pretty rough. It's pretty cheesy, all yep. things considered. Mm -hmm. But you know what? You just got to like your first, like uh, for lack of a better word, your first episode should be bad in some ways. It should be like the baseline that you start with and you improve from, because I think we've probably heard this overused line before. Um, like if your product is great when it came out, you waited too long to mm -hmm. release it. So a yep. um, lot, lot of good nuggets here. And if uh, I may add to that, I guess, you know, for people who are maybe fearful of uh, or like, I guess, not comfortable on camera, it's not necessarily to start with a podcast, right? Like, you don't need to have a full show as your beginning, so to speak. Like, I used to post just blog posts and, you know, just a simple image or whatever it is that you're doing. But I think the industry is still fairly early in that in that sense that there's still a lot of content that remains to be published. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. that's why I think that people who have been just regularly posting I would say not extremely complex information, but just like, here's what I'm doing today. Like, I'm just, you know, like putting out some idea on like LinkedIn or any other social platform for that matter have, have been gaining a lot of traction, right? Because again, people are interested to learn like different ways of doing. If you go to, you know, five different plants, you're going to find, I would say like hundreds of different ways of doing things. So it's always interesting, at least for me to see not only, you know, committing, like you were saying to an entire hour of listening, but seeing mm -hmm. some like, here's like a cool gadget. Here's why we're using it. Here's like what it has done for our like productivity or engineering or whatever. You know what I mean? So that's uh, also, I think a very good way to get started. And, and that's an awesome point, Vlad, because I think a lot of people get overwhelmed by like, you know, Oh, I've got to create a video. Oh, I've got to create a podcast. I mean, probably my biggest piece of advice is do something that you can turn into a habit that you can be mm -hmm. consistent with. And a lot of times I think where it's, this has evolved for a lot of people is just like sharing something on social media once a week or sharing something on social media every day. Like I think it's been cool 
in our industry to see the amount of pictures of control panels and like factories that we see on LinkedIn now where it's like, hey, I was doing work on this site today or hey, just finish this panel, take a look at it. And you get a lot of good comments on that. Yep. Like people engage, oh, yeah. other other controls engineers or other people that work inside of a factory start replying. It's like, oh, what did you use for this? What was the trick here? You get a lot of good discussion going that way. So you're right. It doesn't need to be something as big as a podcast right away. If you want to start sharing content, I mean, start small. There are so many different ways to start small. Chris, during your um, podcasting journey, you've decided to transition away from Rockwell and go off on your own in a, in a certain way and then ended up in different companies. And now you're back with a Rockwell company. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like what, um, I guess like, I'd be curious what prompted that decision and then, you know, what's your story since then? Yeah, it's, it's funny. You just described a concept called what, uh, what the Rockwell world refers to as the Rockwell boomerang, where mm -hmm. you leave, you start doing something else and, and you find your way back in some way, shape or form. Uh, for context, right now, I'm, I'm Rockwell adjacent, as we like mm -hmm. to call it, with their latest, their latest acquisition, Fix Software, a uh, CMMS company I know we're going to get to I'll a little a bit link. later. Yeah, yep. uh, FixSoftware.com, and it's Fix with two eyes. Like any good tech company, you got to add like some sort of tweak to the regular spelling. Um, yep. But yeah, fixsoftware.com with two eyes. Um, but what led there, I mean, first of all, was me leaving Rockwell back in October because um, I wanted to double down on content and social media. That's what it came down to. I was helping um, and I'm still helping manufacturers tell their story. At the end of the day, if someone asks me, Chris, what do you do? I'm going to tell them I help manufacturers tell their story to the right audience because that's what content is supposed to do. The cool thing about you know the manufacturers hub, the cool thing about manufacturing happy hours, we have a very niche audience. We're not trying to appeal to everyone like a New York Times podcast like The Daily or like a show like Joe Rogan. That's got mass appeal, but we're talking to the right audience. And that's what manufacturers need to think of when they're thinking about content and digital strategy. You want to be appealing to the right group of people, ideally the people that could make a decision about your product and could ultimately buy your product. So I worked with a handful of companies um, creating videos, creating content, doing social media, um, and doing that to help them tell their story in an approachable fashion. And that's that's what I still do. The funny thing was I, I talked to Fix Software about doing that. They're like, well, you know, we need someone to tell our story to, you know, the Rockwell world, like people that are familiar with Rockwell. We just got bought by Rockwell. You know, there's there's a need for that story to be told. So, you know, I kind of do that right now uh, from an enablement standpoint, working with uh, Rockwell and Fix's channel partners, telling that story, telling that story on stages and presentations as well. So um, doing a lot of that. I think you're going to be seeing, it's too early to give you the, the heads up on it, but you're going to see some cool content coming out um, from me on the Fix front pretty soon as well, which I'm really excited about right now because, um, you know, it was, it was one of, I see a lot of solutions in the manufacturing space through Manufacturing Happy Hour. Fix is easily one of the coolest easiest to implement, most practical. And that's kind of what landed me uh, back with them right now. Oh, that's really cool. And I, I guess, I don't know if I, I can, you have the answers to this question, but like, are you creating like all kinds of different content? Is it going to be like in podcast form? Is it going to be videos for them? Is it going to be like educational training materials? Can you share some of that if, if that's open? 
let's uh i think the easiest way to describe it is think about like uh content for maintenance leaders you know the people mm -hmm. that are running maintenance within their plants think about it but with that with that manufacturing happy hour vibe a little bit you know mm -hmm. quick approachable um so you'll you'll be seeing some videos maybe some podcasts around that soon that's uh that's probably the easiest teaser i can share on that Awesome. No, I, I love that, Chris. For, for anyone who isn't maybe familiar with even what a CMMS is, can you give us kind of the brief 90 second overview of what you guys do at FIX? Uh, I would imagine a lot of people who listen to this uh, are, are probably currently on FixSoftware.com and, <laughs> uh, and maybe scratching their head a little bit to understand what you guys do. Yeah, so fi what what Fix does and what it, let's start with a CMMS in general, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it, people are on a digital maintenance journey. Like let's, let's mm -hmm. use the example of if you go in a maintenance shop more often than not, you're going to find like a whiteboard with a bunch of work orders on it. Or there's probably a spreadsheet that, you know, has Jill on shift two doing X, Y, Z, and then Bob on shift three doing ABC. Those are, mm -hmm. those are their, their, uh, the work orders that they have for the day. What Fix does is it digitizes that. It creates a digital workflow that allows maintenance leaders to better track, organize, and execute on their maintenance tasks. And, and, and it's built for where they are. So, you know, it's a cloud-based platform where you got your phone. You know, if I'm in maintenance and I'm out on line two and I see an anomaly, I can start a work order from my phone and say, hey, we got to complete this. It looks like, you know, a belt needs replacing. You can put mm -hmm. that work order in and get it assigned to the right person. You can do it from your phone. You can do it from your desktop. You can start it in your phone and you can finish it on your desktop, whatever it is. So, you know, that's handy because no longer are you running back and forth between the maintenance shop to figure out, you know, what's the standard operating procedure for this? Where is this located? It really allows maintenance folks to be more efficient with the way they do their work by providing the information and the tasks where they are inside the factory within the site. So that's the general summary story I'd use for what does a CMMS does. It digitizes those maintenance tasks and allows maintenance leaders ultimately to stop being reactive and start moving to more preventative tasks and condition-based tasks. And then, you know, the creme de la creme is uh, predictive maintenance tasks. So that's uh, that's the probably two minute summary that I wanted to be a one minute summary of what a CMMS system is. No, I think that that's fantastic. And if they current if they did not currently have you on the payroll, I would tell them that they need to get you on the payroll because that's a very good answer, Chris. <laughs> thank you, thank you. For, fortunately, that 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 part's already covered. But appreciate yes. the appreciate the kind words. No, no, absolutely. And, and we've talked a little bit about predictive, and I, I think that that is obviously uh, the, the way of the future. And I, I certainly remember seeing Fix for some period of time, like pre-Rockwell, uh, like, like mm -hmm. pre-completely within the Rockwell ecosystem. And I've always thought it's an interesting solution. I, and I'm excited to see kind of the, the further inclusion into the Rockwell ecosystem and the, the further inclusion of someone like you into helping them get out in front of customers so that you can explain in exactly the way that you did um, how it can make the maintenance folks' lives easier mm -hmm. and simpler and how it can hopefully make you know machines break down less often. 
Yep. That that's the goal. You know, we want to keep assets up and running and, and it's really about making the lives of the people and maintenance easier. Cause you know, the other thing as, as someone that has used SAP for like non-purchasing, non-enterprise functions before, you know, you'll see ERP systems have like CMMS attachments, but at the end of the day, that's not the ERP's main goal, right? Like the CMMS was an afterthought on that. So what what solutions like fix do is it's a, it's built for maintenance and it can tie right in to the ERP system at that point. Like when someone uses fix and I promise this will be the only part that kind of sounds like a commercial, but like when someone uses it and they use a part, like let's say they're doing that maintenance out on line two and they use X, Y, Z part that's fed straight up to purchasing through SAP or whatever system they're using to be like, Hey, we need to order XYZ part now, or, Hey, we need to make sure we have more of that in stock because it's starting to run low. So anyway, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I think it's cool because it puts the power in the hands of the people that are really like keeping these facilities running. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think like we talked about yesterday, I've seen some of the quote unquote, not optimizedly implemented SAP solution. So mm-hmm. I could definitely see how I am more user friendly and just, you know what I mean? Like something that is easy to use, easy to explain, and then kind of works out all of the background uh, for you makes a lot of sense, right? In the maintenance environment. But um, Chris, I wanted to ask you, so in a general sense, right? Like not looking at fix as a company, but we had this question in the, in the past uh, on the podcast, how does an OEM stand out in, as far as like the marketing initiatives go in this crowded space, right? Like, what would you recommend? Like, is the video, is a podcast, is it short form content? Like, are, like, what would be your thoughts of someone who, again, produces maybe some a piece of a hardware, maybe some software behind that and is looking to gain a little bit more presence on social media and obviously put it in the hands of the right people? Yeah. So it can I ask is the question in general, let's say I'm a, a mid-sized OEM, you know, mm-hmm. privately owned. Is is your question like, hey, how do I start developing like a digital strategy, all things considered? Or what are the things I can do? I would say, you know, like maybe they have already some videos on YouTube mm-hmm. where they have um again, like they're demonstrating the product. It's more like feature-based. They're noticing that yeah. that strategy is perhaps like not executing that well. People are not necessarily liking that form of content so they have maybe some presence or some capability to develop something different that they just don't know what that is you know what i mean and how do they put that in place like what does it look like from a practical standpoint again is it some we release something every week every month like is it again like podcasts is it short videos like what what would you think would be like low-hanging fruit so to speak this is a great question. Um, I mean, the lowest hanging fruit is, you know, maybe, you know, not only don't don't just talk about the equipment, but talk about the people behind that equipment as well. I'll give an example of a company that I think does this really well that I worked with, um, you know, a- after I left Rockwell called Robex. They are an in, uh, integrator engineering company out of Northwest Ohio, Perrysburg, not too far from Toledo. They do a video. I don't know. I, I, I can tell you it's consistent because I feel like I see it every week. It's a video called 57 Seconds with Robex. And all it is is like a quick less than one minute video of them talking to someone on the shop floor about, hey, what does this piece of equipment do? 
And what I think it does and what I think Robex does in general is when they share content, they're not just talking about their equipment. They definitely are. And you should. People need to know what you do from a manufacturing standpoint. But they're really highlighting the people behind it as well. And I think that's like an easy step one. Like think about something you can be consistent with. Now they've gone the the route of creating a dedicated series that probably takes a little more skill and forethought than someone that's just really fresh at this. But you know what? Here's what I would say. If I am a VP at a midsize OEM, I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to go on LinkedIn once a week and share something that's going on on our facility floor that humanizes our brand a little bit. I think that's what people are looking for. And, and you guys can probably attest to this better than anyone. Like the content that resonates on LinkedIn is stuff that people can connect with on an emotional level. It's hard to connect with a machine on an emotional level. Um, it's easier to connect with the people behind that piece of equipment. So that would be my piece of advice. Like start with something super simple you can do. Start sharing that. Um, the other thing I would say is since we're talking about social media, since we're talking about LinkedIn uh, and a lot of these people think from a sales mindset and they want quick results, you know, mm -hmm. here's the deal. Marketing is not something that's going to get you a bunch of leads overnight. It's not going to get you a lead the first time you post something, unless you're super lucky. Mm -hmm. It's a long game type thing. It establishes your reputation. It builds trust with the people you want to be working with. Like I always tell people as, as a sales guy myself, like LinkedIn sales navigator as a tool is an extremely underutilized piece of uh, software out there that allows you to say, you know, let's say I'm a, uh, again, sticking with that midsize OEM. If I've got 50 to a hundred accounts that I would love to be working with that are my ideal targets, man, just start following those people in Sales Navigator. It's a tool that'll tell you when someone from that company shares content or someone from that company posts something. That way you can start engaging those people with those people on their terms saying, hey, I love this lineup grade you just did, or I think it's really cool what you're doing for this philanthropy or this initiative your company has, rather than like, pitching someone all the time being like, Hey, you know, we do X, Y, Z. We help companies just like you. Do you want to work with us tomorrow? Like that stuff doesn't work. Like it's all about building relationships and building credibility with the people you want to be working with. So the way I look at it is you can share content that is relevant to the audience you want to be working with, or you can engage with content posted by the people you want to be working with as well. Mm -hmm. So that's my two way street approach. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, you know, and I asked that question in the context of an OEM, but I think this also applies if you're an individual, right? If you're working for a systems integrator, if you're a controls engineer, if you're a control stack, like whatever that may be, I think like as you kind of like grow your online presence, you can think of it the same way that you've just described, right? Like you can share content, you can follow people who are in mm -hmm. the same um, sort of sphere of influence and short, I guess, like piece by piece of content, you are going to build that presence, right? Everything mm -hmm. takes time. It takes a lot of consistency. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for better, for worse, I haven't been uh, able to maintain that level of dedication every single time. But I, it's definitely something that needs to be, uh, I guess, like addressed on a long term.
Yeah. And, and you know what? So, sometimes it comes in waves too. Like I've, you know, during, it's not like during the five years I've done manufacturing happy hour that there weren't times where I struggled to get episodes out every two weeks or every month or whatever it was like, I'm better now I've outsourced some of that so I can really focus on it more, but it's about, you know, showing up on a regular basis, but you know, people need to keep in mind, like a career is a long time. Like people are working for 40, 50 years, you know, how, like some people just like working, you know, things like that. I would love to keep doing this, you know, past the time I'm 65, but uh, yeah, people just need to think the long game. And that's where I think people struggle. They get worried about hitting the numbers for the quarter, for the year. They think that marketing is supposed to be this like whiz bang solution. that's going to get them a lot of leads tomorrow. And and the reality is that's just not the case, but it is something that if done correctly, you can build yourself credibility that will get you a lot of leads and opportunities down the line. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. 100% agreed. Dave, do you have a question? Uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I, I appreciate kind of what everyone is saying about the consistency. That is kind of the number one thing I say. And, and Chris's point of it being a, a long career I think that that's very important. I, I always tell people that marketing is something that we're probably going to have to commit, you know, six to 12 months before we see, you know, large actionable results. But especially in this industry, much of the time, a 12 month marketing budget, you know, one or two projects towards the end of the year is more than going to pay for the entire year of the marketing budget. And mm -hmm. so to, uh, to, to look at it in that perspective is, is important. I think that it's, uh, it's, it and OEMs who are looking to produce content are in the much more new school uh, thoughts as opposed to the old school. We're going to make a good product at a good price and people are going to come find us. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not sure it's ever been harder to find people and, and wade through the entirety of the Internet to find a supplier um, who is not putting themselves out there actively. No, great point. Great point. I want to ask about the content specifically, right? So we talked a little bit about marketing and sales, mm -hmm. but what are your thoughts on actually delivering value in, in your content, right? Like when you produce something, like how do you think, you know, again, like you don't want to obviously just showcase the features. You don't want to yeah. showcase the people behind them, but like, how do you structure maybe a, something that like delivers value to the reader, the listener or what have you? Yeah. And, and in fact, I've talked about, about this with a couple people before, but it's like starting with the end in mind, like what's the ultimate action that you want from your customer and, and working backwards from there. You know, what I found with content people, I think people think it needs to be something fancy and flashy and look really good and be high produced, but that's, that's not the I think. Yeah. Well, it's, that's, <laughs> I mean, I, don't get me wrong. I love a good quality piece of content, but mm -hmm. I feel like this is, you know, this is quality content because we're, what we're doing right now, we're talking about challenges and questions that people in our industry have. And we're mm -hmm. creating a piece of content that addresses those. That's really what content should be doing. Like, you know, I, I learned this from uh, Joe Sullivan over at Gorilla 76, you know, when, when they look at content or when they do a content strategy, they're looking at, you know, what are the most common questions you get from your customers? What are the most common challenges your customers are facing? What are the most common objections you get from customers in your sales process? You know, I think that's a real easy spot to start when you think of it in those areas, because if you can create a piece of content proactively, 
whether it's a blog post, whether it's a video, whether it's a podcast episode, and you put that out there, you know, one, it cuts down on work when you're in that sales process and you're talking to someone and they're like, well, what about this? It's like, well, actually we created a, you know, created a big blog post on this before. I'll just send this your way and you can take a full look at it. It also makes your, your customer, your prospect realize it's like, oh, these guys have already thought of this. This isn't their first rodeo. So hmm. again, we talk about building trust with clients, like having that experience, having that base of content um, is one of those things that helps accomplish that. Yep. So that's, that's my quick answer to that one. No, I, I like that, Chris. And just to add on, I've always said that if I have to answer the same question four or five times, at some point, I'm just going to write it in a blog post or create a video on it. Because if four or five people are asking it to me, there are probably a hundred people not asking you the question and, you know, hundreds more who in the future will ask a very similar question. If you can proactively answer it, it's, uh, it's going to save everyone a lot of time and stress. A real time saver is just copy and pasting an email. And a lot, a lot of times, like a long, thorough email, you can start repurposing that into the blog post itself. That was, I forget Absolutely. who taught me that hack, but that's a, that's a quick way to do it. So I hope for everyone listening out there, you're picking up some, some quick ways to execute on this, you know, copy paste from a blog post, share a picture from the factory floor, you know, mm -hmm. take a video of yourself talking about a topic for 57 seconds, whatever it is like there's some very fast ways to get started yes we've had some uh, comments in uh on linkedin people are mostly saying that uh, the best brainstorming sessions happen over good beer and scotch works as well as a second follow-up to that so definitely um yeah as we discussed that is a good um Pair with manufacturing in general, obviously not when you're on the plant floor. Um, but yeah, Chris, um, I'm curious to hear about like, what do you, how do you see the landscape changing for, um, you know, as more and more people start to create content, as more and more companies maybe join in on uh, the digital or I guess like the marketing space of this nature, do you see it changing in any way? Do you see there being like a shift? Again, there's these new apps, like you've mentioned Clubhouse, uh, coming out there's virtual reality so there's probably going to be like some different maybe meetups i can't remember which company it was but i think uh zach scriven had organized like a like a vr event um back in uh, at the start of the year so do you see like any shift in uh i guess in the space Gosh, I, I mean, this might be where I offer some hot takes. You know, I worry that as things start opening back up, companies are going to go back to doing what they were before. And that's like, oh, finally, events are here. We have somewhere to put all our marketing dollars again. When really there's been, you know, in some cases, a wasted opportunity to figure out how do I up my demand gen abilities? Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, the, the number one thing I think companies still need to understand or get a hold of. It's all about telling your story and how to get to creating the right content from the get-go. There's still a lot of feature benefit selling going on. I think, and this is, on. want to know where I get this from? It's just from reflecting on the past five years is that we're seeing more people jump into the content game. It's no longer mm -hmm. just manufacturing happy hour out there doing content in the manufacturing space. There are other people that have started seeing the value of this. And as it, the, I see a lot of individuals do this at larger companies as these people start going to larger spots. Like, I think there's going to be more adoption of 
good marketing best practices, good content best practices throughout the manufacturing space. But I do think in the short term, we are going to see some companies just go back to doing things the way they've always done as trade shows start to open back up. But I think what might be the kicker that makes people start thinking differently is they'll realize trade shows might not be the same thing that they were before. Like now that the world has realized we can work from anywhere, we can work remotely. I I mean, personally, I'll be more selective about which shows I go to. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what the traffic is like at these events, or if there are more smaller events that are like 30 people, more like a mastermind. Like that's something that I'd be very interested in doing. It's like, you know what? You can go to this event where you're going to hang out with like 30 other all-stars. I'm like, sign me up for that because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of noise you have to shuffle through at a trade show. So um, those, those are a couple of my takes, but uh, overall I'm optimistic. I think we might see some short-term laziness in marketing that I hope people challenge themselves to get around. But I do see a lot of people having become more digitally savvy, becoming better storytellers, becoming better at running campaigns. So uh, I think that'll, that'll probably, I don't want to say weed some people out, but we'll start seeing, you know, maybe some other mergers that way and people coming together. If uh, um, you know, if people have not been as cutting edge in that regard, that's my take on it. Yeah. And I completely agree. I guess I'm looking forward to the, some of the in-person events. And I think, what we're going to see is a blend of the two, right? There's going mm-hmm. to be certain components that are going to be digitalized and some some of them are going to remain in person. Obviously for me, the question is like what proportion of those are going to be, like lean which way? Um, because for sure, like I see the benefit, for example, for some of the technical sessions, right? Where you don't necessarily have a, a day to dedicate to like be in person at a lab that you could have seen over like a virtual presentation. And obviously there's like all kinds of like cloud tools that allow you to not only remote in, but also experience, you know, some of the hardware and software that they're presenting on your PC at home. But uh, I still think like to some extent, you know, the meetups in person do provide value, right? Like it may not be um, every single week that you're obviously going to to a trade show, but every now and then I think it's important to make those in-person connections. So I really hope that they, keep that in mind as they roll out, you know, the, the trade shows going forward and have that right balance. But like, like you said, I think it's going to be like a shift where they're going to go back and then they're going to like recalibrate at some point Mm -hmm. and uh, kind of rethink the strategy. I want to be clear with my answer. I am stoked to get to trade shows again, hang out Mm -hmm. with people. Like I, I do think there'll be a wave of people going, but you know, we might we might be unique to this. I'm wondering, you know, the person who budgets for the whole department to send people there, what their thoughts are going to be. So a lot yeah. to be determined. But moral of the story, yeah, we should all get together and have beer soon. Because I know I showed this off. I know everyone's talking about beer manufacturing. As the host of Manufacturing Happy Hour, I do have a double IPA in front of me that I will drink later tonight, that I will drink later tonight, to be clear. But I, uh, you know, I guess, I guess with my reputation, people are like, oh, the manufacturing happy hour guy showed up. He didn't even have a beer on hand. It's <laughs> like, well, I at least have to have a can that's closed just to show yes. you, like, I do want to enjoy a beverage later. But uh, anyway, there's some fun side effects of, uh, of this brand that, uh, that has been created. So, no, absolutely. And so I will agree with what you were saying, Chris. And I think Vlad and I talked about it briefly is I think we're all excited to go to live events, if only for the networking. For me, mm-hmm. that's the thing that I've missed. And there are 
no amounts of even, you know, one or two hour Zoom conversations that you can have that makes up for, you know, the random meetings in the the, the lunch line at Automation Fair yeah. or the bar after work or the distributor events or any of those things, which are always fantastic. I have always in the last probably three or four years uh, pre-COVID, unless I was taking a client to the show or unless I was going to speak at a show, you know, I'm probably good for maybe three events Mm -hmm. Um, maybe four events, you know, split half in the beginning of the year, half in the end of the year. Otherwise they're just a huge time sink. And unless I can say, Hey, this is exceptionally valuable for me to go to meet clients or to meet new potential clients, it becomes difficult. And I think with COVID and I think with everyone getting on zoom calls, it becomes uh, we can do a lot of this in a like immediate remote way. And so mm -hmm. I think we're going to see a lot of, at least for me, kind of those smaller shows that are not like, you know, a 30 person mastermind in which, you know, you all get together for like a long weekend or something and talk about manufacturing. Like uh, for, for me, outside of like those shows, I think we're going to see a lot of like smaller regional shows that may not start back up because they're probably not going to have as many sponsorships of those, you know, smaller to medium sized regional companies. No, I hear, I hear you on that. It's uh like I, like I said, I think there's enough excitement for these events, but you're right. Sponsorship dollars, things like mm -hmm. that, that'll, that'll impact what goes down. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think we're all excited uh, with the, at least theoretical live uh, automation fair in Houston uh, this November. I have not heard anything that would lead me to think it would not be live. Hey, and when, so, uh, yeah, that, it, it's yeah. going down. It's going down. I'd be, I'd be very shocked if, if things changed, but you know, it's uh we're, we're set to roll Houston, Texas, November, 2021 going to be a good time. That's always a good spot to do the show. The it central is. locations uh, uh, make it a good time. And, really, uh, and, really and oil is up. I was yeah. going to say oil, oil is up. So there, there is probably never been a better time uh, to get together in Houston. If oil continues at its current trajectory. I'm glad yeah. you were going to say something too there. I, yeah. I was going to say, I'm like curious to see what the attendance is going to be like, you know what I mean? Like on one side, they probably will have some like measures in place, especially for international uh, visitors but in the grand scheme of things i think people are ready to as you said like go back to something in person so maybe there will be an influx of people who have been for better for worse restrained at home and are now looking to network in person so we might see you know like double or triple the capacity of yeah. uh, some of the previous years i mean that'd be uh, fun i i know with houston it, it functions a bit as a, a giant regional show as well because with the oil and gas world being down there you know mm -hmm. in some years where that industry might not travel to automation fair i mean they'll flock to automation fair this year when it's central you know when all their buddies are there when their network's mm -hmm. there so uh it, it's exciting like like you were saying it'll be exciting to have live events back and uh i think you can count on a manufacturing happy hour live event taking place there as well really there's, really there's oh yeah there's there's no shortage of breweries down in houston we'll find a spot to meet up grab some beverages before the show gets rolling oh that's gonna be awesome that's gonna be really cool absolutely so so, Chris, before we wrap up, I definitely want to, you know, go over some of the items that we talked about at the beginning. So, number sure. one, where can people connect with you? 
Um, if you want to give us another maybe short pitch of fix and kind of mention what kind of people you're looking to speak with about that, if there's any anybody that should reach out to you, then the event next week, you know, where they can find it, I'll repost the links to make sure that they've got it. And uh, yeah, really appreciate you coming on board and speaking with us today. Yeah, so uh, I'll start with Fix. To find out more about Fix software, head to fixsoftware.com. That's F-I-I-X. Um, uh, so CMMS system, uh, great for putting power in the hands of maintenance to allow them to do their jobs where they are, creating work orders from their phone, executing on them, getting access to all the information they need to do their jobs most effectively. So that's a little bit about fix. Um, you can also learn more at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash fix. Uh, again, yeah. fix with two eyes. It's a quick spot to get a video of that's like two minutes on what is the CMMS? What does it do? Why is it important? So uh, you can head there. And then finally, the best place to connect with me, head to the Manufacturing Happy Hour industry community on LinkedIn. That's a way to get connected with me on LinkedIn, but also join a community where conversations like this happen all the time. Uh, Vlad, Dave, you're members of that group. It's over mm -hmm. 400 manufacturing leaders. The link to get there is manufacturinghappyhour.com slash community. It'll take you straight to the LinkedIn group. So those are my final calls to action. Yeah, really appreciate it. And I would say quality over quantity always. You know what I mean? Like it's the numbers, but it's also the conversations that are happening there are actually meaningful. People mm -hmm. interact with whatever you post or whatever others post. So it's, I think like that's the cornerstone of any good community but we can we can go yeah. on a whole tangent of that as well but now well, I'll, I'll just say we're selective about the people we let in you know i would say anyone yeah. listening to this show is a shoe in at the end of the day but you know if someone jumps in and starts pitching their company or isn't like you know like not adding value or just kind of like you know putting a blanket post up there and everything that's not really well thought out you know, we, we do want to try to respect the integrity of the group, but for listeners of this show, Hey, we want to see you in there. Um, you're the type of people that we want to have in the crew at the manufacturing happy hour community. Thank yeah. you again, Chris. Really appreciate Wait, you. Vlad, Vlad, right. we almost forgot to ask the question oh, yes. that we agreed like a week and a half ago, we were going to ask everyone because it goes over so well. So, yes. so, so Chris, um, as, as we told you uh, earlier, you know, we're starting a new segment. We're asking for book recommendations for folks within the manufacturing community. Everyone in the past who has mentioned it, um, we've gotten a, a very good response and Vlad has read like 15 books in the last two months. So do you have a book recommendation? Uh, I, for us i do and in fact if you give me one second i'm gonna jump pull it off the shelf and bring it back here it's my favorite business book of all time okay do it all right i don't even know if i left a camera for that but it is never eat alone by okay. keith ferrazzi and uh, so never eat alone and other secrets to success, one relationship at a time. I pulled this one out. I've talked about another podcast before, but uh, we talked all about trade shows today. We talked about getting back, getting back to the events. This really, you know, gives you some good habits that you can build in, whether it's at a trade show, whether it's how you, you know, make thank you a habit. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's a great book with some very pragmatic examples. I It's been a while since I've read this. I need to go back and reread it because it is timeless advice. So Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi is my book recommendation. Awesome. Thank you very much, Chris. It's something, you know, I've, I've heard it mentioned multiple times. I've heard the, the short synopsis of the book, but I've never actually 
read it myself. So perhaps now I'll actually go and pick it up. Yeah, it's a good one. Quick, quick, pretty easy read too. Like you'll plow through it. That's uh, that's the nice thing about it. Also on audiobook as well. That's where I do a lot of my reading yes. these days. That's a huge plus. That's definitely mm-hmm. a huge plus. Mm-hmm. No, uh, perfect. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that, uh, Chris. Um, and I think we're going to be about as respectful as a, as with everyone's time as we may have been since episode three, when we started telling people it was going to be a 30 minute show, Chris. So, so thank you for helping us kind of sort of get it within the, the, the general hour timeline. Thank you for giving us such great information. This thing is jam packed. And I imagine most people will probably have to listen to it a couple of times uh, as they're heading over to, uh, to manufacturing happy hour to, uh, to kind of check you and everything else out. I love it. It's always fun catching up with you guys. I do want to tell you, I know this is my tagline, but I want to say to your audience, stay innovative, stay thirsty, and definitely keep listening to Dave and Vlad. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, uh, Chris. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, We will see you guys next week with some more exciting guests.